0: Nobody lives forever, but your legacy does. Follow me, G. Scott, on this journey to discover how some of our most influential public figures plan to leave their legacy on this world. He played six CFL seasons, five of which ended in Great Cup victories. 17 NFL seasons, he was a pro bowler, an all-pro, and then, of course, he eventually ends up in the Hall of Fame, Mr. Warren Moon. Good morning,
1: G. Scott. Good morning, brother. Great to great to see you. Great to be on your show.
0: All right, I, you know, a lot of my friends, a lot of my family, we call you Mr. Moon. So I just want to make sure. Uh, wait. Hope speaking of Hall, of because, F- I hope that's only because
1: you're trying to be polite, not because of my age.
0: Polite, polite for sure. Thank you. Polite. Well, speaking of Hall of Fame, I see in the background there is a Hall of Fame. Even your coffee this morning is Hall of Fame. It, it, did I see a, a Hall of Fame coffee cup?
1: <laughs> Gee, I start every morning with a Hall of Fame attitude. So uh, I'm I'm surrounded by it. You know, when, when you um, make it to this pinnacle, you feel like uh, you owe it to those guys that you're on this team with to live a Hall of Fame type of life. And that's what I'm trying to do. Well,
0: speaking of Hall of Fame type of life, what is the Hall of Famer doing these days, man? I see you all over. What's going on with you? I do have a lot of good things going on
1: in my life. You know, at 65 years old, most people are t- talking about retirement. And that My life is, is really revving up again, and um, I'm really enjoying all the different things I'm doing. I'm on a bunch of uh, different boards. I'm on the board of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I'm on the board of the Rose Bowl Legacy uh, Foundation. I'm on the board of a sports gaming company called Atlantis Gaming Company. Uh, I still have my foundations going, so we've got a couple of fundraisers coming up here pretty soon. Um, I'm doing appearances. I'm doing uh, memorabilia. I'm working on an NFT deal. So I've got a lot of different things going on, G. I've been approached by a production team that wants to uh, do a movie on my life story. So a lot
0: of things in the works right now. Wow. And in the Super Bowl, of course, that's coming up. Uh, anything you got going on during the Super Bowl? I'm actually going to be doing the broadcast, the
1: analyst for uh, for Sky Television in the UK. So I'm going to be a part of the broadcast team for that. And uh, that's going to be exciting uh, just to be a part of the Super Bowl. I've, I've broadcasted three Super Bowls in my, in my life uh, with the Seahawks and have a Super Bowl ring from one of them. So I get a chance to broadcast another one this year. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that.
0: You're still in Seattle. You haven't left. Uh, why, do you, why do you continue to stay here?
1: I love Seattle, man. It's, it's a big part of my life, um, especially as a young boy growing up. I came up here to go to the University of Washington. Had some tough times there, but everything ended up pretty well by the time I left. And it really kind of shaped me and molded me as a man at, at that time between you know 18 and, and 21 years of age. And then I lived here during the off seasons uh, when I was in Canada. So for six years, this was my off season home. And then finally I moved away and played in other teams around the league, but I never lost my roots here in Seattle. I had great relationships with friends, my godmom and her family um, lived here. So I visited all the time and, and I kept those roots going. And then once I retired and started working for the Seahawks again, it just kind of brought it all back again to, uh, to where This is the place where I, I need to be because of my relationships here, because of the type of people that are here. Uh, I really have enjoyed my time here, and I love the Pacific Northwest. And I have a young son here that is playing high school football, so I'm watching his career very, very closely and really a, a big part of his life as well.
0: Wait a minute. he You got a state champion on your hand now. Is, 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 did I get that right? Did he win the state championship with Bellevue High School?
1: Bellevue High School Wolverines, brother. The 3A state champions of uh, of 2021. Really proud of him. He's only a freshman, so uh, he started out pretty well to, to have a, a state championship in his freshman year. I don't know where you go from there, but they're already working out, getting ready for next year, so uh, they're, they're still hungry, and, and he's just as hungry because, you know, he didn't play a whole lot as a freshman, but when they moved him up to varsity, you know, there was a lot of upperclassmen ahead of him and all that but he got a great experience of of practicing with those guys every day of getting a chance to uh, see what a championship football team looks like and he's working his tail off and we're only here in uh, in january what position is he playing well, he's playing running back, and he's playing safety right now, and uh, he really wants to be a wide receiver. They don't throw the football a ton, so he'd be more like a blocker if he, if, he was, uh, if he was playing wide receiver. So they put him in a position where he can touch the ball a little bit more. So he's playing running back, and he's enjoying it. But I think ultimately down the line, I think his best position
0: is going to be wide receiver in college and probably safety or corner. Well, you know, I want to go back to when you first came here to seattle that was in the 70s that you came here and um you dig me now <laughs> how did they find out about you one and i also want to talk about some of your hard times that you had when you first got here but how, how did the university of washington find out about you
1: well i had a receiver and i was at junior college at that time and i had a receiver by the name of leon garrett who uh was the leading receiver in the country um they were recruiting him. And of course, whenever you're recruiting a receiver, you're gonna see who's throwing him the football. And I was a freshman at the time, so they weren't paying a lot of attention to me because normally when a when a kid goes to junior college, he goes for two years. Well, I didn't wanna stay for two years because I didn't want to go there in the first place. I, I should have gotten a scholarship out of high school, but I it, things just didn't work out the way I wanted them to and and uh, everybody wanted to recruit me to change my position. So I, I wasn't going to have any of that. So that's why I went to junior college. So that's one of the ways that University of Washington started um, noticing me was on tape watching my my uh, teammate, Leon Garrett. And Jim Mora actually uh, was the one who, who saw me on tape because that was his recruiting area. So he gave, uh, he gave that tape to, uh, to Coach James. Coach James liked it. And next thing you know, I'm being recruited by uh, Chick Harris, who that was his recruiting area,
0: and uh, he started recruiting me. And so when did you know that Don James was this special legendary coach that he eventually turns out to be?
1: You know, I didn't. Um, I, I just knew of his history at in, uh, in Kent State, and I, I kind of did a little research on him as they were recruiting me, so I knew a little bit about his background. But, um, you know, he was kind of unknown to this part of the country. You know, he was more of a Midwest guy, you know, coached under Bo Beckler and, you know, that part of the country. But um, when he came out here to the University of Washington, you know, he really sold me on what he was going to build with this program. And and he thought I could be a a vital part of it. And he thought I could be a big time college quarterback. So uh, that's all I needed to hear was that somebody believed in me to be a quarterback and that I could lead their football team. Uh, even though I knew I was going up to an area where I didn't know anybody. I, I didn't uh, have any type of relationships up in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, I'm from Southern California. It's, it's rainy and cold up, up here. So I had to figure out if I could adapt to playing and throwing a wet football and all those different things that go along with, with making a transition like that at, at 18, 19 years old. So um I was willing to do it just because I was going to get a chance to play the position that I loved and what I knew I could do. And he was also bringing in some other top flight athletes to try and build this program because it was a very bottom bottom line program when he took it over. They were two and nine the year before they came. And uh, we, we tried to get that thing turned around. The first year we were six and five
0: and then we just went on from there. Well, we know what you ended up doing. We know that you ended up winning a Rose Bowl your last year. But before you got to the promised land, winning the Rose Bowl, I'd imagine that we're talking the mid-70s, Warren Moon. We're talking about a black quarterback. Now, you keep calm, cool, collected. You always got a smile on your face. But I'd imagine you saw and felt and had some rough times in the mid-70s playing the position of quarterback. Talk about that.
1: Yeah, gee, I had some really tough times, and uh, I never anticipated anything like that as an 18, 19-year-old player coming from out of town, what I was going to deal with. First of all, when I got here that fall, it rained 28 straight days at one point. (laughs) 28 straight days, dude. It it was raining. Um, That was something to deal with. Then the fact that we didn't have a really good football team, and we were playing one of the tougher schedules in the country. We played University of Alabama. We played University of Texas, and they had Earl Campbell. We played Arizona State, who ended up being undefeated that particular year. We had a, a very, very tough schedule, and we weren't we weren't winning those games. And who usually takes the blame when, uh, when you're not winning, either the quarterback or the coach? In our case, it was both of us. But I was the one getting booed every time I ran out on the field so um it it got to be nasty it got to be personal you know it wasn't just booing there's one thing when you're not playing well and and the the crowd's unhappy and they boo you it's another thing when it becomes personal and they they're calling you names and and uh you know racial slurs and you know my friends are up in the stands having to listen to all this my my girlfriend at the time who became my wife she's having arguments with people in the stands because they're calling me different names so it it got to be really nasty. Coach James was getting a lot of pressure from from the media and also from alumni about me, you know, being the starting quarterback. So it wasn't an easy time for me that first year um, at the University of Washington. I thought about transferring, um, but my mother told me, you know, Warren, you made this commitment to go to the University of Washington, and for the reasons you did, and the same thing could happen to you if you go to another school just because of the color of your skin. And what are you going to do? You can't keep transferring everywhere until everybody starts to like you. So you're just going to have to stick it out. And hopefully um you'll get things turned around
0: and people will love you. And, and basically, that's that's kind of what happened. Yeah, but take us in, like take us into that time. And I know here you are, 18, 19 years old, having to deal with this, hearing the racial slurs. How did you? How did you get through it? Like how how was your how did you get through your rough times? Give us an example of a story that happened and, and and your response and how you dealt with it.
1: Well, I got through it uh, you know, through again the support of my mother and and my family back at home, but they they weren't there every day. So, I was fortunate enough to meet a family up in in, uh, in Seattle in Bellevue actually, uh, the Payne family, and I met them through my roommate Leon Garrett, the receiver that I talked about. And that's where uh, we would go as kind of a refuge to get away from the University of Washington. We would go over to their house. They would invite us over on the weekends and uh, we'd go over and have a nice home cooked meal. We could lay around and just relax and and not have to think about, you know, what was going on at the university, what wasn't, what what was going on uh, on the football field. And, you know, Leon had his own problems. He wasn't playing as much as he wanted to. We weren't throwing the ball as much as we, we had talked about doing. So, you know, he had his own problems he was dealing with. So that was kind of our refuge. And, um, Miss Payne, she is a, uh, a, a counselor. And, and so she would basically counsel me. I would lay on a, on a couch and, and lay my head in her lap and she would rub my head. And then she would ask me questions about what was going on. And I would, it was almost like I was in therapy in college. Uh, and, and I, and I had somebody that I could talk to about all the different things that I was dealing with, um, you know, at the university. So uh, and that's how I got through it um, because I had never dealt with anything like that. I had had nothing but success uh, from the time I started playing in Pop Warner football all the way up through high school. But now all of a sudden, here we are uh, in big time college football and uh, and people don't like me. And that, that's, that's that's hard to deal with. I You know, I remember going into the huddle one time when I'm running onto the field I'm the last one usually on the field when I, once I get to play and I run on the field and the whole crowd is just booing me like crazy. And I walk in that huddle and it, for a quarterback, those players, those 10 players in that huddle have to be able to look in your eyes and see that you're confident, see that you're the guy that's going to help take us down the football field and that uh, everything that's going on around you, it doesn't bother you. Right. Well, I had to become the best actor that I could be as far as, I should have got Academy Award for, for the way I walked into that huddle because that stuff ate inside of me, but I couldn't let my teammates know that. So I had to walk in that huddle like there was nothing going on and nothing was bothering me, and I'm going to take you guys down the field and we're going to score. And that was tough to do time after time after time whenever I ran out on that field and, and every time all those, those 60,000 people were booing me. So it, it was a very, very tough time that
0: first year. That was at the University of Washington. And then you win a Rose Bowl. University of Washington beats the University of Michigan in that Rose Bowl game, 1978. Um, and then the NFL draft happens, and you don't get drafted. You do all that good stuff, but then you don't get drafted by the NFL. What's that moment like for you? Well,
1: there was a lot leading up to that. You know, first of all, I had an agent at that time, Lee Steinberg, and he was doing his due diligence on me as far as what teams thought about me as a quarterback. And and most of the, the information he was getting back was that teams either wanted to draft me really late in the draft, if I got drafted at all, or they wanted to change my position to defensive back or wide receiver, positions I had never played before. So I'm trying to weigh the pros and the cons because at this time, the Canadian Football League had also approached me and wanted me to play quarterback. And thought I could be a, a, an outstanding quarterback not only there, but the head coach Hugh Campbell thought I could be a great quarterback in the NFL, and he just didn't understand why the NFL didn't want uh, didn't want me. He did understand, but he didn't understand. Not from a, from a football standpoint, he did not understand. So I had to weigh the pros and cons of: Do I want to go play in another country where they're going to let me play the position that I can play, or do I want to give up my opportunity to play in my own country? where I had always had a dream of playing in the NFL, uh, but I might not be able to even play the position that I want to play. So that was my big dilemma. I finally decided that I I wanted to go to Canada because I wanted to play quarterback. And I had to make that decision um, six weeks prior to the NFL draft because their season was a little bit earlier than, than the NFL. So they needed to know um, before uh, the The NFL draft. So that's one of the reasons I wasn't drafted is because I had already made my decision to go to Canada. And at that point, I was glad I didn't get drafted because I would have been a free agent when I came back to the league if I ever wanted to come back to the NFL. So I was actually hoping I didn't get drafted on draft day only because I had already signed in Canada and
0: didn't want anybody to have my rights if I decided to come back. So you go to Canada, you go to Edmonton, you win five great cups. That's the equivalent, everybody listening, of the Super Bowl, the championships, of this five out of the six years. So you must have looked at that opportunity and felt like, I'm going to do the best with what I got. That was my whole mindset everywhere that I
1: played throughout my uh, – from the time I got in high school. Make the most of your opportunity – or make the most of the time that you have so when that opportunity does come you're ready and even though I was a little bit it was a bittersweet experience for me to go to Canada just like it was a bittersweet experience for me to go to junior college but I made the most of that experience and then when the opportunity came for me to either get a scholarship to major college or or to get a, a pro contract I was going to make the most of it and be ready when that when that opportunity knocked on the door so uh, that's what I did. I wanted to go up there and become the best football player I could be. I wanted to win as much, m- many games as, as I could. And I also wanted to make as much money as I could at the time. Cause they, they, they gave me a very great uh, financial offer. And I loved playing in Canada because I didn't have to deal with any of the racial crap that I dealt with in the United States, believe it or not. Never heard a word about anything, uh, negative that way you know of course we got booed when we went on the road and stuff like that that's what's supposed to happen but it was they weren't booing me and calling me names and and, and different things like that so i loved playing up there again we had a lot of success um and i at one point thought gee i was going to stay up there my whole career because that's how that's how much i was enjoying it but you know what what happens is you know you start having so much success to the point where you you don't have the same challenges. And and in the back of my mind, I'm saying, how good am I really as a quarterback? and Can I actually play in the NFL? Am I good enough to play in the NFL? So that kept burning inside of me that I I think I'm good enough to play, but until I actually go and do it, I won't know. So that was one of the things that made me come back to the NFL was the fact that I wanted to see how good a quarterback I was. And the only way to find that out is to play against the best
0: players in the world. And the best players of the world are right here uh, in the NFL. Well, you came and did it 17 NFL seasons, nine pro bowls, all pro. And of course, you know, you, you hall of famer, all that can go through all your records right now, but we don't have time for that, but you get to the NFL and look as a kid, I don't know if I've shared this with you. I'll share with you now as a kid growing up, when I come out in the neighborhood, I'd say I'm warm moon that day, right? You were my, one of my father's favorite quarterbacks. And but every time I remember seeing an interview of you, you always smiling, always calm, cool and collected. So I thought life was good for you. I thought that maybe you didn't see some of the things that when you talk about racism, I thought maybe it didn't apply to you because I would see you on TV and things would be so great. I, now that I'm older, I know that that's not the case. I know you've dealt with a lot, even in the NFL. I'll ask this. Can you tell us a moment where the most scared that you've ever been playing on a football field because of a threat, because of being scared? Talk about that.
1: I don't know if I've ever been scared on the football field, but I've definitely been a little bit nervous, only because... When I was playing with Houston, you know, there was a time where uh, they were getting death threats on my life. And and I remember uh, there was one game in, in Cleveland where on my 35th birthday, we were in Cleveland playing. I had had a really good game. I threw like five touchdown passes that day. And I came out of the game in the last two minutes. Our backup quarterback goes in to, to kind of mop it up and, and run the clock out. I'm on the sidelines you know, smiling joking with guys thinking about what I'm going to do when I get back to Houston that night. Cause it is my birthday. And next thing I know, our head of security, Grady Sessions walks up next to me and says, Warren, I just want you to stay close to me as the game is over. Um, uh, there's been another death threat on your life and we're going to escort you off the field. Next thing you know, there's four or five policemen that kind of come up and surround me and they walk me off the field to make sure nothing happens to me. And, and, uh, That's, I I didn't know that before the game that that I had that threat, but I had known that there had been threats before, but this was one time I guess they really, really took it seriously because they actually had, you know, guards and things took me off the field. But that's when I knew this thing was real. And I also, it made me chuckle a little bit, believe it or not, and say, you know, somebody really wants to kill me over a freaking football game. I I, I don't, I, I just don't, I don't understand it. So, those are the type of things you had to deal with. And I didn't tell people about stuff like that. I didn't tell my family about it because I always wanted people to to, to think that everything was okay, that, that I had everything under control and that I didn't want to be a burden to anybody. I didn't want anybody to worry about me. That, that's just always been my mindset. So um, that cool, calm and collected um, attitude that you see out of me a lot a lot of it is the way I want things to be in general, but sometimes there's more to it inside of me that I hold inside of me uh, just to make sure that everybody else stays calm around me as well. Because my thing as a quarterback, you know, there's all this chaos going on in the football field. You got all these collisions and all this, all this um, physical play going around you, but... Something somebody's got to be that calming influence on the field when it when everything is, is going crazy on a football field, and I always wanted that to be me. So if guys ever were, were, uh, if we're behind the game or whatever it is, if they look over at Warren, they'll say, Oh, I guess everything must be okay because Warren's okay. And that's that's the way I wanted, uh, my teammates to look at me as a leader is I, I had everything under control and everything was going to be
0: all right. You know what you went through, and seeing you and Seeing Randall Cunningham, seeing the uh, first black quarterback to win a Super Bowl, and Doug Williams, and you know what you've gone through. How does it make you feel to see today Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, the quarterbacks today, knowing that they probably go through their struggles, but they don't have to go through what you went through? And how does that make you feel knowing that they stand on the shoulders of giants like you?
1: Well, you know, you you talked about all the different uh, accolades that I was able to accomplish throughout my career. But I think one of the things I'm most proud of is the fact that I was able to help change the culture and change the mindset of what was going on in the national football league when it comes to African-American quarterbacks. All these guys are getting more opportunities Uh, they're they're able to show what they can do and and that's that's a reflection of what not only myself but like you said Randall Cunningham Doug Williams we played at a very high level when we played Uh, you know Doug winning a Super Bowl I think Randall won an MVP in there somewhere and and my consistent play every year being an all-pro quarterback that really helped change that mindset of owners and general managers and coaches around the league that hey these guys can play at at a a higher level and we need to give more of them opportunities to play and because they've gotten more opportunities to play over the last 20 years or so you see what has happened these guys are flourishing and not only are they flourishing on the field they're some of the highest paid players in the league they're number one overall picks in the draft they're some of the highest highly highest endorsed players in the league as far as money off the field so they're all doing really really great things and that's something that, that we're all proud of that that we played a small part in making that happen um, because this is a leadership position. And not only is it a leadership position in football, but when you're a NFL quarterback, now all of a sudden you can become a leader in your community as well. And you have a voice because people are going to listen to you because of, of you being an NFL quarterback. So there's a whole lot that comes with that besides just the fact that they're starting on a team and they're making a lot of money and they're on a lot of commercials, they can make a lot more of an impact in their communities if they decide to do it. And a lot of these guys are doing that.
0: The quarterback position, we are starting to see more African-Americans in that position. The date right now, as we do this interview is January 27th, 2022, nearly 70% of the NFL is black players. As of right now, there's only one black head coach. What can be done to change that? And how do you look at that knowing that we're still with one black African-American coach? Well, first of
1: all, let me say that us having only one African-American head coach right now in the NFL is disgraceful. Uh, the NFL knows it's disgraceful um, and they need to do something about it very quickly. There's nine jobs that are up for uh, for hire right now. I would hope that African-Americans could at least uh get four or five of those jobs this year and get push that number back up to four or five, six, six guys. Um, we've been up as high as eight and we've been down as low as 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 one now. So it's been kind of a roller coaster when it comes to African American head coaches in the NFL. And that's something that's very disappointing because when the Rooney rule was put in place, it was supposed to create more opportunities for African American coaches and general managers. We've had a couple of uh, African-American general managers hired in in this hiring cycle so far, which is good. Ultimately, you need to hire the most qualified guy. And there's a lot more qualified African-American coaches out there that aren't getting those opportunities. African-Americans have shown that they can coach and coach at the highest level and win Super Bowls and all those different things. I'm very disappointed in where the number is right now. They have a chance to really make a change here with this hiring cycle because of the number of jobs that are available. And hopefully that'll, that'll change here um, in the near future.
0: Well, every guest, I always end the interview with the question. And the, the name of this podcast is Leaving a Legacy. Uh, warm Moon, what would you want your legacy to be?
1: Wow, it, it's, it's hard to to pinpoint one thing, you know, uh, I, I, like I talked about earlier, I'm proud that I'm, I've been a trailblazer in, in the, uh, in the form of, of helping other African-American quarterbacks get more opportunities to play the game. That's something I I think I'll be known for um, for a long time, but I'm also a person that has a really big heart and and I've given a lot of my time. I've given a lot of my money and and I've tried to raise a lot of money to help others who are, Uh, less fortunate than myself and and I focused that on education Uh, we've uh, provided a lot of scholarships to underprivileged high school kids to go to college and that's something that I want to be known for as far as a guy that didn't forget about others Uh, a guy that made it did very well financially did very well uh, status-wise but didn't forget about those who who um or a little less fortunate than himself. So that's something I really want to be remembered by too, as a guy that had a big giving heart, as well as a guy who uh, was a trailblazer for, for young African-American quarterbacks to not only become professional football players, but to be leaders in their communities.
0: Warren moon. It's grateful that you took the time to hang out with me, man. Uh, I'm a fan then I'm a fan now and will forever be a fan of yours, sir.
1: Well, I appreciate you having me on, G. You're doing a great job with your podcast, and, and uh, it's important for people to leave a legacy, and, and uh, everybody doesn't always know what, what somebody's purpose is in life, and, and you are able to bring that out of people and, and let people know, let your audience know uh, what the legacy is of your guest, and, and, and that's important. So keep doing what you're doing, my brother, and I'm sure I'll see you along the way, and we'll break some bread, and we'll continue to,
0: to talk and uh, see how we can make a difference.